Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. This morning, as we get into the teaching of God's Word, and as a prelude to our observance of the Lord's Table, We're going to take a look and consider an Old Testament passage of Scripture, 1 Samuel, chapter 30. We're not going to be putting it on the screen. It's just a little bit too much. And I'm going to be reading several Scriptures this morning. So if you have your Bible at home with you, you might grab it out and turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 30. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 26 this morning. So before we get into the Word of God, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Father, the Bible says the entrance of your Word gives light. It's a light to our path, Lord God. And so we thank you for it. In troubled times, we need that light, Lord God. We need it to shine brightly in our hearts, minds, souls, and spirit. We need it so that we may encourage and bless others. We need it, Lord, so that we can encourage ourselves. So, Lord, as we look to you this morning, we ask by the power and presence of your Spirit to open up our hearts and minds, and may we receive wondrous things out of your law. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, I'm going to begin by giving you a little bit of background so that we're not jumping into into the passage. I think it's necessary to have some context for where we're going. And as a matter of fact, we're going to be dealing with one of the most towering figures in all of history, and he shines very brightly in the Old Testament especially. He's mentioned over 50 times in the New Testament. And that person is the individual we know as the son of Jesse, King David. Um, Most of the world, the unbelieving world, has at least some knowledge of King David. In my lifetime, there have been at least two major movies made about this man's life, which says something, but he's most well-known in the world for being the original underdog. As a young man, a shepherd, who went out to war against a mighty giant Philistine, Goliath. I think that picture has carried on down through the centuries, and it has been an un inspiration, not only to believers, but to unbelievers. Anytime someone comes up against an insurmountable uh, uh, difficulty, that story seems to come to mind. So his life is, and that story has been a blessing to very many people. Beyond that, he's also known for something not quite so uh, glorious. He had a moral failure, and this is also known by most people in the world. 
Um, he seduced the wife of another man. Her name was Bathsheba. And then he uh, tried to cover it up uh, with intrigue and murder. Uh, but David was a chosen vessel of God, and God, who shows no partiality, uh, would have none of that. And so David paid a great price uh, for what he did, uh, and it robbed him of certain joys in his life. It robbed him of certain victories in his life. Uh, and so God had to discipline him greatly, and this dogged him even to uh, his uh, death uh, when he died at the age of 70. Well, for believers, we know more about David than just his heroic stand and his moral failure. We know a lot more because David led a very public life. A very public life. And as you read through the passages in the Old Testament, he is uh, mentioned many times and his acts are recorded. We know that he was called as a young man and he was chosen by God, the least and youngest of Jesse's sons, a shepherd boy. And he was anointed by the prophet Samuel to become the future king of Israel and attain greatness. We know that uh, he was introduced into Saul's, King Saul's courts as a musician. And he played for Saul. And he was used to, uh, of God to drive away a troubling spirit when it came upon Saul through his music and song. Uh, he would later on be called the sweet psalmist of Israel. We know that his best friend was Saul's son, Jonathan, an actual potential uh, uh, foe to the, to the uh, throne of Saul, uh, but their hearts were knit together, and they were not enemies. <clears throat> we know that the first real public test of his character did come in that battle and confrontation with Goliath. I love this quote. David said to Goliath, and he's facing him now, this young shepherd boy with a sling and some, a few, few rocks, uh, you know. Uh, he says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you with page two, <laughs> not page four, excuse me. I don't want to uh, mess this up. There we go. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And that's exactly, as we know the story, happened. What's important about this, though, is that from a young man, an early age, David had confidence in God. He looked to God. He saw an attack on God's people, Israel, as an attack on God. And David was a champion, and he was fearless because of that. <clears throat> David would maintain this all through his life. In spite of a few aberrations, where he fell into sin, 
that was not the tenor of his life. The tenor of his life was manifested in his attitude as shown as a young man. And even this, which is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 23, David's last words. And, and if you read the passage, this is what he, how he describes himself. He describes himself as anointed of God, chosen and blessed by the Holy Spirit one through whom the Lord spoke. And we know that David was a prophet. He was a prophet and a king. And he saw the Lord as his rock, his stabilizing force in his life. And he affirmed by faith that God had made with him an everlasting covenant that was ordered and secure. And he acknowledged that his life had been blessed by God. So from his youth to his dying day, He always exalted the Lord God, and that's what Christians see in him. We are all flawed like David was, but we desire to honor God on a daily basis. And by and large, that is David's true uh, testimony. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, he is described specifically as a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. And I pray that that's what you strive for, to be a person after God's own heart. As far as importance to the nation of Israel, David was God's choice for king to replace Saul after Saul's disobedience. Uh, David would eventually unite the 12 tribes and govern them, uh, spanning a 40-year period, the first seven years in Hebron and 33 in, in Jerusalem. And he set up the golden age of Solomon's era, where Israel was a mighty power in the Middle East, the golden age. Beyond that, it was through the lineage of David that the promised Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, would come to Israel. And as you remember, both Mary and Joseph's genealogy can be traced to David's line. Uh, David had great importance not only for Israel, however, he has great importance for us of the Gentiles, because Messiah Jesus was not just the Savior of Israel. He was the Savior of the world, whose first coming would result in payment for our sin and the redemption of all who would believe and the establishment of the church. And so the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints uh, were both blessed through the line of David. Finally, it is known that when Christ returns, after the tribulation period, uh, during his second coming, that he will reign in Jerusalem on the throne of David for a thousand years, fulfilling his covenant promise to Israel and to David. So David is huge, in terms of his significance as an individual, and very important for us all to understand his life, not only in its hugeness, though, excuse me, as I mentioned before, uh, we know that when God calls someone to salvation, whether he is King David or you or me, he does so with the intention of making a new creation within transforming our life for his glory. We're called into the kingdom of light out of darkness, from death to life, from a position of being at enmity with God to having favor with God. 
And we also understand that in one sense that transition is already complete the moment that we believe by salvation, uh, through grace, through faith, and it's accomplished at that moment when we're born again. And it's not to be lost. It's eternal life. And by very nature of definition, eternal life cannot be lost. But in another sense, there's that daily outworking of our salvation, which theologians call sanctification. As he begins to work in our life, the master workman begins to form Christ in us, working on our character as he shapes us into the children of his for all eternity. And that work, our sanctification, doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens for us in real time, with real-world consequences, sometimes public, sometimes private, but the Lord works upon us. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, created unto good works that God has prepared before that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It was no different for David. God prepared him for his future ministry as king through the school of hard knocks. And how David handled things as a man after God's own heart serves as an example for us today if we would seek to honor and please the Lord in all things. Having said all that as a background, I have entitled the message today, When Tumult Arises. And by tumult, I mean calamity, disturbances, and unwanted difficulties, etc. And I know that you out there are familiar with these kinds of things. For we have been told, in this world, you shall have tribulation. When tumult arises, we are going to apply that title to what happened to David in chapter 30, beginning with verse 1. And as a short local chronology, we pick up the story at a time in David's life when things were not going well at all. He had been anointed anointed king by the prophet, but Saul was still the king over Israel. Uh, David had not yet been recognized and given the throne in spite of his accomplishments, and Saul had grown jealous of him, and he was trying to take his life. The Spirit of God had been withdrawn from Saul, and he was a troubled individual through his own disobedience. David was actually at this time living as a fugitive, not as a king. But many disgruntled people had joined with David. And they traveled with him and saw him as a leader. And through a set of awkward circumstances, David was forced to go out of the land of Israel and befriend a Philistine leader in order to find a sanctuary city where he could be safe during this time period. And having convinced the Philistine leader that he was turning away from Israel and escaping from Saul, the Philistine leader gave him the town of Ziklag to set up camp, if you will. And so David, who had a family by this time, he's still young, had a family by this time, and all of his troops were stationed there, if you will, at Ziklag. And this is what we pick up. David had been gone, and he had... He was coming back. So we read chapter 30, verse 1. Now it happened 
when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, and every man for his sons and daughters. Did I mention that things were not good for David? Take a minute and reflect on this. Tumult had arisen in David's life. He thought he was called to be king, to be blessed, to be in the light of God's favor. He was more than willing to give God all the glory. He had bragged on his God and how God takes care of him and his needs. And this was true. But looking on the outward appearance, it did not seem to be that way at all. David was no king right now. He's an outlaw. Not only an outlaw, but one who was forced to deal with enemies of God's people as if they were friends. Beyond that, he was physically living not in a palace, but in a literal no-man's land. Just outside the fringes of Israel. Finally, when he comes home from getting provision for his family and many, the many who followed him, he is shattered with the most horrible news. The Amalekites, who were perpetual enemies of ancient Israel, the tribe of people who particularly plagued the people of Israel for so many years, had wiped out Ziklag and had taken captive the families. I want to take a, just a note here for a second. If, if I'm in David's shoes... I would really be questioning whether or not I understood God's will. I would be thinking, well, maybe I made a huge mistake. I must have failed as a leader. I didn't protect my own people in my own sanctuary city. How can I possibly rule a nation? Maybe I should just paint a target on my belly and invite people to pick up the stones and go ahead and take aim. But that's me. And that's my flesh. That's not David. I love what I read next. What did David do? The second part of verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Notice. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He is not looking to escape the situation. He is not looking to place blame on himself or anybody else. He is not cursing the darkness. The very first thing he does is go to his rock, his high tower, and he gathers strength. He did not find it within. He looked to the Lord. He looked to the Lord. 
Now, a couple of months ago, <clears throat> I was discussing this verse with uh, some mature believers I know, and we were commenting on how David encouraged himself at this point in his life. And then more broadly, how we as believers strengthen ourselves in the Lord. What are the actual mechanics of it, if you will? And so we kind of broke it down like this. First of all, we evaluate our situation. That is, is personal sin involved in this tumult in my life? Was personal sin involved in David's life? And if so, we just need to acknowledge it, confess it, and forsake it. But beyond that, if it's not personal sin, what if this tumult is simply a result of the turbulent world we live in and the fact that we're faced with the recognition that is what is happening to us is according to the permissive will of God for reasons we can't and may never understand? How do we, circum- how do we strengthen ourselves then? <clears throat> well, the response was for 21st century Christians, we go to the book of Psalms. For strength, that was, the, that was the agreed place where people go. But I will remind you, in David's day, there were a few psalms written. But David is the author of a huge amount of the psalms. The book wasn't written at, those, at that period of time. What grew out of David's experience became our book of psalms. He had a very public life, but his inward life has also become very public because it's recorded in the Psalms. So what I have done today, very briefly, is taken some sample Psalms. Sample Psalms. How do we strengthen ourselves? We evaluate what's going on, and then we go to God's Word. That's our generally our next step. I've chosen certain psalms that are maybe not as familiar uh, to us as, say, the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is My Shepherd, or perhaps the 91st Psalm, which we sing here occasionally. Uh, I've chosen some uh, psalms. Does anybody have an outline? I I don't seem to have mine. Hannah? Thank you very much. And so what did David do after he evaluated himself? First of all, I think he probably would have recalled his status as a believer. And for that, I've chosen a sample psalm out of the 119th Psalm, verses 25 through 32. Let me read this to you. As David was thinking, maybe these kinds of thoughts were running through his mind, and maybe they're running through your mind today. I do not know. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. 
I will run the course of your commandments, for you enlarge my heart. Isn't that beautiful? Perhaps this is the way David strengthened himself. Perhaps he saw God for who he was and he sees himself in humility, in the dust, as nothing. My soul melts and he sees God as everything. And then he pleads, Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I know your word is right. I know your word is true. That's the best possible way to begin. Bible says that the Lord lifts up the humble, but he's far from the proud. Dust melts shame, the word, the testimonies, the strength, the way of truth. That is how we recall our status after we evaluate ourselves. We move on to the 112th Psalm. Another psalm that is not readily quoted by a lot of people and yet is full of riches for us. Psalm 112. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. So when we look at our status as a believer, after we've evaluated our situation, we know that we are in a blessed state. Did you pick up on some of the words that were chosen in this particular psalm? First of all, blessed, happy, happy. Then we see the fact that righteousness endures forever. When we apply that into New Testament thinking, we know that our, we are established in Christ and our righteousness is established in Him. And because of that, we have an eternal state before God of being righteous. And that's just a wonderful blessing. We note that there is light in the darkness, something which we've already touched on earlier. And we've noticed that there will be no fear of evil tidings. Certainly David, at this point in his situation, uh, could have been fearful. Fearful that maybe God had taken his hand off him. But David wasn't. David was strengthened. His heart is established. God will give him the victory. Our status before God gives us great privilege. And though God works in us, 
in ways that we frequently don't understand doesn't mean that he's left us or forsaken us. So blessed, happy, joyful of heart, in right standing we are, life that endures forever, never ending, and it flows outward in all we do. Did you notice the, the, the things that were mentioned here? Good man deals graciously in lens, and he guides his affairs with discretion. <clears throat> There's an outflow, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> an outflow of his relationship with God. This adds greatly to our understanding. Finally, I think that David, after evaluating his situation and remembering his sad status, would have looked to the character, the power, and the plan of the God he served. I'm in favor with God. I am right with God. Now I'm going to look to God, my rock. And we turn to Psalm 138. Again, a not often quoted psalm. But the Lord's goodness to the faithful. And this is a psalm of David, and this is a psalm that he penned himself. And I like it very much. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. You have magnified your word above your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will receive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your enemy, your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. David penned that. David penned that from experience. He experienced the strengthening of the Lord. He experienced his loving kindness. He experienced his truth. He experienced the fact that when we are humble before the Lord, the Lord will look favorably upon us. And he knew that though he was walking in the midst of trouble, God had the power to revive him and strengthen him. And if you remember the story, he was about to be stoned. So I think that David probably would have evaluated his situation. He would have recalled his status as a believer before God. And he would have remembered God's character and his power and his plan. Next, he would have moved on to a point of action. We turn back to 1 Samuel and we read in verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Abimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. What a blessing that would have been to King David. Now, in those days, communication 
with God was different than it is in the church age. The ephod was brought out with the high priest wore, and on it were the urim and the thummim, and they were lights and perfections. And we don't know how all of that worked together, but David was communicated this truth, that he would go out and he would obtain victory. We no longer need that today. If you're born again, you have a direct line to the Father. We are all priests. We are a kingdom of priests, and we can speak to the Father directly in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we go to him directly by virtue of that priesthood, and it's a wonderful thing. The prophets of old and the priests of old have passed, and we are in a new dispensation. So when we speak to God, it's not so quite so dramatic as bringing out the ephod and so forth and so on. It's usually done in the quietness of our prayer closet because that's how we communicate with the Father and we don't need to communicate any other way. Then we note that uh, the story goes on. David went and he and 600 men who were with him came up to the brook Besor where those who stayed uh, were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind because they were weary and they could not cross the brook Besor. And so David went on. He had 400 men and he is chasing now the Amalekites who had taken the families and taken uh, all their goods and so forth and so on. And the story goes on. You can read it for yourself. David gets some help and some direction as to where they will be. And uh, David arrives there, and he finds in verse 16, uh, when they had, he had brought him down, he saw that they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking, because of all the great spoil they had taken from the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And so David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites carried away. David rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons, daughters, spoils, or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered them all. Then David took the flocks and herds that they had driven before other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. We're going to stop and pause right now. David not only was victorious, but he was victorious abundantly. There was an overflow. I want to turn here and go back just a, just a second to the New Testament. First Colossians, first Colossians, the book of Colossians, not first Colossians. If you're looking for first Colossians, you may get lost. The book of Colossians, and uh, I told uh, Pastor Mark that I would be using verse 18. And it should be verse 16. So chapter 3, verse 16. I want to use this as a marker reference as we get ready to, uh, to close today. Colossians 3, 16. When you get a little older, the first thing that goes is your memory. And I don't remember what comes next, but something does. At any rate, uh, why was David so confident? Why can we be so confident? Because we can trust God's word. I love Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. David was a man 
who revered and had God's word in his heart. He believed and he trusted God. He acted in faith. The Bible tells us Hebrew in the book of Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please him. That was his next action. He would go forward, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And this is exactly what David did. He trusted God's word, and then he went forward. And he was rewarded, and he was blessed with abundance. He came out on top. He came out as more than a conqueror. God does not always direct us to go forward. I need to mention that to you today. There are times when he asks you to just stand firm where you are. Don't don't move forward. Just stand firm. Hold your ground. I experienced that personally this year in a, in a, in a small, small way, a minor way. As many of you know, uh, a lot of times I've been up here during this, this last year, 2020, with an eye patch on my eye. Uh, I had a problem with my thyroid, and it was giving me double vision, and it was, uh, it was inconvenient, but I was in no real pain. I was worried about my eye. The doctor told me that if left too long in that condition, it could cause permanent damage. <clears throat> he had recommended for me to use radiation. I was a little bit reluctant, and I asked him, well, if I extend and let it go without radiation, um, would that be okay? And he said he, he thought so, but he would really recommend radiation. I said, well, I don't have an inner peace about this. I respect your opinion, and if things get worse, then I'm going to go ahead and and uh, take that procedure. Well, by the grace of God, uh, the first part of November, I had been really wavering and ready to take the radiation. My eye just began to clear up and get much better. So uh, not a day when I look out and see you, I just see one of you and not one and a half or one and three quarters or two of you. In that case, God was counseling my heart to stand firm, just stand firm and to wait. There was no physical, I was in no physical jeopardy at all. Um, and I had an option, but I had a leading in my heart to stand firm. And sometimes God will lead you that way. So it's not always a go forward as David did. Sometimes it's a, it's a, a leading that just stay where you are. Stay right where you are. Be patient and wait on the Lord. And in my case, uh, at least this year or last year, that's what happened to me. Well, David's reward. The Bible tells us, uh, getting back to our text here, that David took this reward, <clears throat> and we're going to jump up to um, well, verse uh, 26. When David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah and to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord, to those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth of the south, those who were in Jeter, those who were in Aror, those who were in Sifmoth, those who were in uh, Estoma, those who were in Rachel, those who were in the cities of the, the uh, Jerahamalites, and those, uh, forgive me if I'm butchering these names, uh, I didn't practice this, and those who were in Hormah, and those who were in various other places. And it was a very wise move of David. David did not know, but very soon, Saul would be killed in battle, and David would begin his ascent to the throne. But it was very wise. <clears throat> My point in pointing this out is that a lot of times we're blessed 
in our relationship with the Lord. We're given a point of victory, and we are in that relationship with God, and we are happy and joyful. We have experienced a victory, though it may have been hard fought and hard won. <clears throat> and we are to take that victory, and we are to share it with others. Now, in David's case, there was literal physical spoil, but frequently what we have is our testimony. Jesus said in John chapter uh, 7, uh, verse number 38, he says, rivers of living water shall flow from within, outwardly. I should read it uh, just, just to get it, get it absolutely accurate. I think I'll take a moment and do that since I've got you captive here this morning. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, as the Scripture has said. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And how this ties in for us is that when God gives us a victory over one of life's tumultuous situations, we should share that blessing. We should encourage one another with our testimonies and magnify and praise God in the eyes of others so that they may be blessed. We are not blessed when we hear of David's sin with Bathsheba, but we are mightily blessed when we hear the story of David and Goliath and when we hear how David strengthened himself in the Lord to go out and gain victory over the Amalekites. In other words, what is born out of our relationship through the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit is meant to be shared to encourage and provide refreshment, living water to thirsty souls. Whether they're believers or unbelievers, because we live in a dry and thirsty land. A dry and thirsty land. I have one more verse I want to point to as we close up. And again, I made a mistake here. It should read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. And it goes along with, uh, so it's, it's wrong on your sheet. It should be chapter 5, verses 18 through uh, 20. And you can blame that on my faulty memory, but I know that you uh, know and understand this verse. So let me get there. You know this verse, I'm sure, well. Don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. My whole point today is, I don't know what tumult has arisen in your life. But I do know that if you love and serve the Lord, and if you find your strength in Him, that He's going to lead you to victory. He's going to give you testimony. He's going to cause from that relationship living waters to flow from your inmost being, and it's going to be a blessing to others. So take heart. No matter what's going on in your life, God is on the throne today. Don't be afraid. Take strength in Him and receive from His hand what He has for you. If He's telling you to move forward and make an important decision 
and you feel you have his leading and it's according to the word of God, then you make that decision. And if you just need to stay put, you just need to stand firm, then do that with God's blessing and you will please him. Let your heart be filled with the word of God. Let your spirit be controlled by the Holy Spirit and you have a sure path to victory. Well, I'm going to close in prayer right now. We are going to switch gears, and Alan Giles has graciously, <clears throat> pardon me, has graciously uh, agreed to lead us through our communion service today. So as the praise team comes, I'm going to pray, and we will sing our closing song and then have Alan take over. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the story of David. Indeed, he was a giant of the faith, Lord God. His life looms over centuries as an encouragement to all of us. The sweet psalmist of Israel who found in you everything that his heart desired, Lord God, above all else. Oh, Lord, may that be our heart today. I don't know what tumult each one of your people are facing what has arisen in their life that they have little or no control over. But I do know, Lord, that you permitted it. And even though they may not understand it, Father, that you're going to work it out for their good. Because you promised that. You encourage them to come and take strength in you. This world is not our home. In the wilderness, there's no rest for the traveler, and that's what we are. We're just passing through, Lord. I know that's easier said than accomplished, Lord God. As the one pastor said one time, you're going to make it. You may not look like much when you finish, but you're going to make it. That's okay, Lord. We know that we have new forms, new bodies awaiting us at some point. And that this is just the beginning of a great eternal adventure that you've called us to and that you've set us free. So, Father, would you lift the burdens from our heart today as we take and find encouragement and strength in your power, might, and glory and grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.